Welcome to Anthony Plogon Music. This is Eddie Ludema, the show's producer. In the bonus room, Tony and Amy talk about a handful of her interests and experiences outside of her freelancing work. For example, her 99-day trip around the United States visiting and photographing all of the national parks. They talk about her path to earning a pilot's license and wrap up their conversation talking about the community and a house that she bought in beautiful Sitka, Alaska. But before you finish Tony and Amy's discussion, we'd like to share a message with you from our friends at Dorico, the cutting-edge music notation and engraving system from Steinberg. Create music that moves with Dorico 5, the brand-new version of the music notation and composition software from Steinberg. Packed with new features throughout the application, it's the perfect time to update from your current version or to try Dorico for the first time. You can start for free with Dorico SE or Dorico for iPad, which now allow projects with up to eight players. Or step up to Dorico Elements, which now allows projects of unlimited size and features an expanded engrave mode. For professional use, choose Dorico Pro, which has many unique features you won't find in any other software. Visit www.steinberg.net forward slash Dorico today and make more time for music. One of the reasons why I wanted to have a conversation with you is that a lot of musicians are extremely passionate about what they do, which is great. And it's obvious to hear, you know, that, that you're very passionate about what you do as well. I am as well. But, sure. but they tend to be sort of limited in what they do. And your life is anything but limited um, because <laughs> you've done so many other things. And so I'd like to talk um, actually um, in the second part of this conversation about all the different things that you're involved in because you're not just a horn player. I mean, you you have a very full life outside of horn. And so why don't we start with uh, during the COVID time um, when there was no live playing, you actually did a 16,000-mile road trip <laughs> through the United States, um, at basically seeing, I guess, all the national parks. And, and I believe you camped in your Jeep. Is that correct? <laughs> That's correct. Okay. Yeah, and would, would you would teach um, some of the times from the road? And I'm, first of all, I'm wondering what your students thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, most of the trip was admittedly during the summer. Um, not all of it, but most of it was. So, um, so I wasn't teaching regularly from the road, but off and on I was. Um, I did end up having to do a few master classes from the road. I did a couple guest uh, master classes and um, uh, and then some you know prospective student lessons. And then you know my students were working on things over the summer as well. So I, I don't necessarily do regular lessons with them over the summer, but I did a few lessons from, from the road as well. Um, but so when I had to teach or, uh, and I did some remote recording because it was during the pandemic. And of course, you know, there's, there were very few, if any in-person gigs, but I did a little bit of, of recording remotely. Um, you know, just my, my personal setup at home. So I brought, um, I brought a, a nice mic with me on, on the road and my, interface and you know computer and all of that stuff that I would need to record including mic stands and all that stuff um had that packed in the jeep as well and then when I did have to record or or teach um I would usually rent an airbnb or a hotel or something so I didn't necessarily record or teach outside from the jeep but um but I just rented a space when I needed to do that and just so I just kind of had to plan ahead and make sure it was a place that had decent internet um and it was amazing what I could do from the road and uh 
you know, during the pandemic, I did teach remotely a little bit during the year when we were in full remote instruction. Um, I did teach a little bit. We could talk about that later, but from both from Hawaii and from Alaska um, during that time. And um, I know my students were were sometimes, you know, a little bit, you know, where are you now, Amy? Yeah. <laughs> And when I was in Hawaii, I remember I, I felt a little guilty about telling them um, that I was in Hawaii, but um, eventually I'm actually I sitting out the on view. the beach and having a Mai Tai. <laughs> yeah. Well, how long was your road trip? How long did that last? And did you plan for it to last as long as it did? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it started out basically the, the goal was very simply just to go see my family. Um, I'm very close with my family and my parents. Um, they're all on the East Coast. Um, my parents are still in upstate New York. And so the goal was just to go see my parents. And I, you know, this was um, summer of 20, yeah, 2020. Um, so, you know, the pandemic was still pretty fresh and nobody we didn't really know much about it so there wasn't a whole lot of travel going on and I was I was scared to fly and bring my parents um COVID you know that was the main the main purpose um is that I thought well I'll just drive cross country what else what else do I have to do this summer um so I'll just drive cross country and go see my family and sleep in the car um and you know I ha had this jeep that I basically outfitted with a a bed in the back and so I could be self-contained and not have to set up a tent every night um I like camping but that's just gets to be a lot a lot if you're trying to actually camp in a tent every night um so that's how the trip started it was just the plan to drive cross country and see my family for a little bit but as I looked at that drive, I just thought, well, I haven't done this in years since I since I moved out to L.A. about 20 years ago. So I thought, why don't I weave around through some of the national parks and see what that would look like? So I, I used a website called Road Trippers to kind of plan out my route. And as I started weaving around through all these national parks, so many that I had never been to, I looked at that mileage total and it just thought, wow, that's... That's a lot. And I think the, the trip that I had planned ended up being about 12,000 miles. Um, but by the time I did it all, I think it ended up being, I traveled for 99 days. Um, it was about th uh, three, three and a half months, um, which is about what I planned. I, I had planned on getting back. We, we start UCLA. We start very late in the year um, since we're on the quarter system. Um, and so we start in late September or even early October. So that's when I was planning on getting back to be back in L.A., just at my house to do remote teaching, but it was again, flexible because I was going to be teaching remotely on zoom. So, um, so I planned for about three months and I think I ended up staying a, a couple extra weeks at home. So it took me a little longer, but, um, 99 days in total. I think I traveled through 30 different national parks and, um, you know, some of those were, you know, monuments, national monuments, national forests or whatever, but 30 different national parks in 28 different States. Um, and it ended up, I thought it was gonna be 12,000 miles with all the weaving around I did. It took me almost 16,000 <laughs> and, um, you know, it was just an absolutely incredible experience. Um, in the middle of that, I can, this is maybe a side tangent we can get into it, but in the middle of that trip, I actually left my car in Bozeman, Montana for two weeks and I did fly up on my own to Alaska. First time I'd ever been in Alaska in 2020. Um, specifically to meet up with a friend to go photograph um, brown bears, grizzly bears uh, in Katmai National Park in Alaska. So that was the first time I'd been to Alaska, first time I'd ever seen a grizzly bear. Um, 
and uh, went to do photography with with my friend who is actually a wildlife guide um, and photographer. Uh, she lives in Africa right now. Um, so that was kind of a, a little jaunt in the middle of my road trip. And then I continued on and went and saw my family, spent time there and headed back to L.A. So what were some of the highlights for you? Did you have like a couple of favorite national parks? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, so many highlights, honestly. I, I And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I love being on the road. Um, you know, driving, I, I've always enjoyed driving and I've always enjoyed road trips. So even just that, I really actually enjoyed the driving part. But, um, but I, I knew I wasn't going to have a lot of time to spend in the national parks to go on, you know, long expeditions and, you know, intense backpacking trips, anything like that. Um, I basically just tried to take off the major things in the national parks and see where I want to go back to, um, because it was just too much to try to fit in <laughs> in everything. Um, and because I was going to be on my own, I wasn't going to go out on, on any major hikes um, on my own and, you know, take too many risks. Um, did the whole thing solo, uh, with the exception of seeing a couple friends along the way. Uh, you know, it was COVID, so everybody was a little leery of meeting up. <laughs> so I was very much on my own. Um, but my highlights, I'd say, of the parks, um, definitely um, Glacier, National Park was one of my favorites. Um, Grand Tetons, also one of my favorites. And kind of that trio of, of, of Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, and Glacier. Um, definitely some of my favorites. But Rocky Mountain um, National Park in Colorado, also incredible. Um, and then as I headed, you know, east, um, or I, I did this in different, different, um, at different times, but uh, Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, um, White Sands, uh, national Park or National Monument. Um, and then uh, Great Smoky Mountains, Acadia National Park in Portland, Maine, um, hmm. or up in Maine. Um, you know, I, 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 I definitely covered a lot of ground. Um, I did skip a little bit of the Pacific Northwest. I skipped like Cascades and, you know, some of the, the spots in Oregon and, um, and Washington, mostly because they're closer to me here in California and I, can, I know I can get to those. Um, but yeah, I mean, just absolutely incredible spots all across the country. And I think, oh, I also really enjoyed um, uh, Badlands. I thought that was incredible oh, right. okay. too. I had a, I had spent a a night with a very very crazy thunderstorm there in Badlands. Um, a little scary, but uh, but really incredible to witness. And um, yeah, I think you know one of the things that that trip just really made me realize. Um, a lot of things, honestly, <laughs> made me realize a lot of things. But, but one of the most poignant things I think was just seeing the diversity of landscapes and ecosystems and environments that we have across the country. And it almost sounds cheesy to say, but our our national parks really are our, like our greatest treasure. And it's just such beautiful and well protected land, um, and and well presented. I mean, it's thoughtfully laid out and presented so that the average person really can go in and take in some gorgeous sights right off the road you don't have to go out and do crazy you know treks and backpacking um you know i mean certainly there's more to see if you do but so much of the most beautiful parts of our country can be seen th from the national parks from the car and <laughs> from a parking lot or short walk and that was just it was just mind-boggling and i've been to plenty of national parks in the plat in the past but this was just awe-inspiring um and so kind of going along with that, I think one of the things that I took most personally from that um, is just really how to be with myself and feel comfortable. Um, maybe, you know, maybe this sounds a little silly, but 
so many people ask me, you know, like, weren't you lonely? And, you know, didn't you get bored? And first of all, I don't, I, I never get bored. I just have too many interests and things, but, um, but I, I never got bored. And if anything, I don't really feel like I was ever too lonely, you know, maybe a couple times, but it felt more like treasuring the solitude, um, than feeling lonely. And that was just when I really learned that there's a big difference between solitude and loneliness. Um, right. And I really, I really treasured it. And, um, it was just one of the, probably one of the most pivotal things I think I've done for myself because it was, you know, it wasn't easy. And at times maybe you could say it was scary, but I actually never really felt scared. It was more just like excited about what's around the next corner or what's going to happen or, you know, dealing with a little bit of, um, you know, uncomfortableness in situations, but it, you know, that's how you grow. And I feel like I just, I learned so much from doing that on my own. So it was, it was really an incredible time. <laughs> One time I, I did a hike in the, the Sierras on the Jamia Trail with my son, Jason, and we were hmm. supposed to be there for about three weeks, but he, he was going to have knee surgery and his knee started to swell. So after about a week, we came off the trail and we ended up staying with, with probably your friend, Bill Booth for a couple ah, of, yes. couple of days. <laughs> and, Bill lives right next to a mall, and I forget the name of the mall. But we went to this mall, and and with all the people walking around shopping and everything, it was such a culture shock compared to being in the mountains, in the beauty of the mountains, and all of that. And so I imagine you had had to experience some of that when you got back to Los Angeles as well. Yeah, definitely, and I definitely did. I mean, pretty much, you know, I avoided cities on that whole trip. Um, and you know, I mean, it was during the pandemic, so when I got back to LA. It wasn't probably quite the culture shock that you would that you would have had in that situation just because there was like everything was still shut down. So I was basically still sitting in my house teaching remotely. <laughs> um, you know, the, things were opening up a bit, but, you know, it was um, it was still it was fall of 20. Uh, yeah. Fall of 2020, I suppose. Yeah. But so things were still very shut down and it was still we we were entering a full year of remote instruction. We didn't I didn't see my students in person once. It was really hmm. crazy, um, which I know most people had that or something similar. Um, but so. So, yeah, I mean, it was um, I, I can imagine that that culture shock, but it was a little different because of the pandemic. And I think if anything, for me, I got back and just felt like. Well, what now? <laughs> yeah. What what else what else can I do because I've been all over the place and been so used to I mean, I, I you know, I talk about keeping a busy schedule and I, I do try to find balance in that schedule um, you know, to to enjoy things, but I think part of part of it for me is that I really um and you mentioned this earlier, I really love what I do. And so um you mentioned that that kind of craziness of a freelance schedule or all the stuff that we we put on ourselves to to take work and to take all these opportunities, but I love what I do, and um, so I I think I thrive on being busy and, you know, kind of keeping all the plates in the air, um, juggling everything. And w even when I was on that trip, I was exhausted. I was driving. I was like working myself like crazy. I was driving, you know, all day, but because I, I love photography, I wanted to make sure that I was always in a beautiful spot for sunrise and always in a beautiful spot for sunset. And, um, and of course wanted to see as much of each national park and area that I could. So I was out driving around and taking pictures and videos. Um, I was, <laughs> was trying to practice as well. Um, I have some really cool video clips from, um, uh, some other amazing spots that I haven't mentioned yet, but, um, Escalante national monument or national park. Um, that's, uh, 
right there with um grand staircase national monument i think that's what it is um so from there uh playing i, I brought i had my horn of course so i played in some canyons and then some almost like cave, oh yeah that's like great. spaces yeah you're just so fun you know like where i yeah I, I wasn't planning on practicing but it's in the car of course and so i about driving and i came across these amazing places and just thought I think I need to pull out the horn and play here. Yeah. And I, I recorded a birthday greeting for my nephew there. And to this day, I still send that birthday greeting to friends because it's just the coolest sound. It's just echoes all over the place. It sounds oh, like the best reverb in a cathedral you'd ever have. So, yeah. Um, you know, so I play on the road and then taking pictures, you know, trying to get, you know, I always wanted to catch the sunset because you're out in nature in these gorgeous places. So just making myself like work really hard to see everything I wanted to see. Um, mostly eating on the road. I never ate in a single restaurant. I'd grab groceries or something, but I was cooking in the back of the car and putting meals together. Um, and, you know, obviously covering some ground as well to try to, you know, get across the country. Um, and then I, I, you know, I would try to settle in at camp. And I remember thinking that I I brought books with me thinking that I was going to do a lot of reading and I was going to have a lot of quiet downtime on the road trip. I barely cracked open a page of a book at all because I just wanted to take every, advantage of every single possible hour of daylight. Um, and so then I'd set up my camp and, you know, pretty much in the dark every night because I had wanted to be somewhere for sun, sunset. And then um, I'd make dinner, you know, maybe practice or talk on the phone or, you know, send some messages or emails. And then, you know, right about when I was about to go to sleep, the moon would come out and the stars would come out and I'd think, oh, I've got to, this is a beautiful night. I got to try to do some astrophotography. I'm learning to get better at that. So, you know, I'd go to bed at midnight and then have to get up again at five or six for sunrise. So I did wow. that throughout the whole whole road trip. And I at some point I just thought, what? I'm crazy. I'm doing this to myself. <laughs> but it's just so much, so much motivation. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little insane in that way. I don't know. Um, but uh I did. I did uh, spend a few weeks at home with my parents, um, so that was part of the time too, and that was definitely a great time to relax. I um, I taught lessons with all of my students as kind of a check in before the year, the school year started, and just great to to spend that much time with my parents. I don't think I've been able to be home to see my family like that for such a long period of time, probably since you know undergrad, since I moved out, basically. So it was incredible. Um, I got to spend a solid three, four weeks with them. And then they even did a little travel with me to go up to Portland and um, mm. go up to Maine and, and uh, New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, that area. We did a little traveling together as well. So it's just incredible. To move ahead, talk about your being a partner with a South African project. I think it's called, if I can pronounce it right, Nakombi Rhino. Hey, very good. I yes, got it. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Exactly. So this is, you know, just one of those other random things here. Really everything, I I feel like I do have a lot of kind of hobbies outside of music. Um, And a lot of people think, wow, these are just left turns. How did you get involved in that? But really, in my head, everything kind of makes sense from a music perspective, because it all started from music. Um, So in 2018, um, I had the opportunity to go play um, for a jazz festival in Cape Town, <laughs> Cape Town, South Africa. So the Cape Town Jazz Festival, um, I was playing with uh, an ensemble called um, Sweet for Ma Dukes. Um, it was a, a jazz group uh, for this hip hop producer, uh, Jay Dilla. And the music was composed and arranged by uh, Miguel Atwood Ferguson, who's a an orchestrator, arranger, and jazz violinist, violist. Um, he's an incredible musician, and I've worked with him on a number of projects and recordings. Um, and so he was, we had done this uh, 
this Jay Dilla program with full orchestra in the past. Um, and it was just a really incredible thing. He took all these hip hop, um, old school hip hop tunes that had like samples um, of classical music kind of weaved into them, sampled into those those hip hop tunes. Jay Dilla was used to be a cellist when he was growing up in Detroit. Um, so long story short on that end, uh, we used to do that with orchestra and he kind of reorchestrated it or rearranged it for smaller ensembles several times to perform it in other places. And that music has been performed now at New World Symphony and it's been performed in London and in New York with different organizations or different orchestrations. And so he took a small group to South Africa to perform literally just a one hour set at the Cape Town Jazz Festival. Um, and so I was lucky enough to be in that small group. It was just a, a, a couple, um, couple strings, a couple woodwind players, trumpet, trombone, and a rhythm section. And um, so it was a one-hour set in Cape Town, and it was, of course, going to be my first trip to South Africa. And we were we were rehearsing there for a couple days, um, just a couple of rehearsals, because everybody was kind of coming in from different places in the country. Um, but, you know, that's a, a solid 24 hours of flying to go to South Africa for a one-hour set. And we were really only there for, we were only scheduled to be there for, I think, four days, three and a half days, something. So I just thought, well, this is too long of a trip to go all the way to South Africa for just a few days. So I'm going to book a wildlife safari. And I tried to get some friends in the band to go with me, but they all had their other things going on and couldn't afford the time to go. So I ended up just looking into doing a lot of research and looking into where I could go do a wildlife safari. And, um, ended up booking this what felt like a once in a lifetime fairly expensive you know for me at the time felt like a, an expensive trip um you know because I don't normally splurge on vacations <laughs> you know I tend to take the opportunity to travel um for for work and go see a few things on the side but I don't normally just go on a vacation you know for just for the fun of it um at least not too often. And so I, I, you know, did this book, this once in a lifetime kind of wildlife safari. And wouldn't you know it, um, my safari guide just happens to be incredible and runs, uh, works with this wildlife nonprofit called Nkombi Rhino. Um, and so it's, it's run by he and his brother. Um, his brother turns out to be a professional rugby player <laughs> who, long story short, ended up coaching or being a captain rather on the team. Um, we now have professional major league rugby in the United States. And it turns out he was the captain of the team in San Diego. <laughs> wow, that's wild. So again, just kind of crazy things, you know, of all the safari, of all the wildlife reserves I could have gone to, um, I chose a private reserve up in the greater greater Kruger Na National Park area. Um, and then of all the, you know, lodges I could have stayed at and even all the safari guides that were at that lodge, um, I just happened to get this guy who worked with wildlife doing conservation and whose brother uh, was going to be in San Diego for six months out of the year. So we just kind of hit it off. I became very good friends and stayed in touch with them about the wildlife work that they do. They do a lot of protection of endangered species, um, particularly rhinos, white rhinos, southern white rhinos. Um, but um, but all all wildlife uh, species and, you know, particularly endangered um, uh, African wild dogs, uh, you know, they work with elephant elephants and they do cheetah uh, relocation projects for diversity in DNA, um, you know, all sorts of projects, uh, line collaring, um, a lot of a lot of different projects as well as community projects, too. So I got involved with them and basically uh, just when I got back from South Africa on that very first trip, I was just hooked. And I thought, 
you know, this is such a small organization that they run. I really want to do something to help them out. And I've got a lot of connections in music who might think this was interesting. So I just kind of put together a little Facebook birthday fundraiser. <laughs> Remember when that was a thing? I guess it still is. And um, and I just uh, started raising a little bit of money for some um, some rhino procedures. Uh for their protection and raise a little bit of money. And then, you know, those guys with a nonprofit said, well, we have an anti-poaching unit that we support and we raise money for them so that we, you know, kind of combat this, the poaching, um, you know, situation over there, which is really critical and still very difficult. Um, and so they said, you should come back over and see our anti-poaching unit that we run sometime. And so that that first trip of mine was in April, and uh, I put a trip together for that very next September, um, and I brought three friends with me um, because, you know, we just thought, well, we've got this great opportunity. These guys in the nonprofit are going to give us a, a good deal and an opportunity to kind of see some of the conservation work they do, plus it's just a really cool opportunity. So I brought three friends with me, um, and this was honestly not by design. This feels like a very nerdy thing that happened, but um, it just so turns out that all three of the friends that I brought were also French horn players. <laughs> so when we decided to go, um, Joe Peterson is the guy who runs the nonprofit. And Joe said, wait a minute, you're all horn players, then you've got to bring your instruments. And we all said, we're going to Africa for a week. We don't want to bring our horns. You know, we want to go on a vacation. And but he's like, oh, but that would be so cool. We could record like a music video out in the bush and International Rhino Day is coming up and we could do a promotion, you know. So, of course, what we ended up doing was we brought one horn to Africa and we multi-tracked uh, a, a quartet arrangement. Uh, that Victor Pesavento did, who was one of the musicians that was on tour. And he's also an orchestrator and arranger, works with John Williams and other people in Los Angeles. So he orchestrated an arrangement of Nkosi Sikaleli, which is the South African national anthem. And uh, so we played it as a horn quartet. We multi-tracked it. And then we recorded uh, each of us with the horn out in different areas of the of the bush and in, in different parts of the wildlife reserve. And we put this music video together. Um, and what better name to, you know, raise money for wildlife and raise money for rhinos than and a group of horn players uh, than horns for rhinos. Right. So <laughs> we became this horn quartet called Horns for Rhinos, which later I developed into a full brass ensemble. And that's actually still a project I have a lot of things um, in store for. Uh, I want to record an album with the full brass ensemble, Horns for Rhinos, um, and to keep raising money for that organization. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So it still is music-related. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that maybe is not music-related is uh, another aspect of your life is in 2021, uh, you also became a pilot. And yeah. you're going... <laughs> You're going further with that as well. I think. I think so. I hope so. Um, you know, I'm not planning on quitting my, you know, as they say, quitting my day job anytime soon. I'm, I'm always, uh, of course, going to keep playing music and um, and teaching at UCLA is is a huge passion and a um, you know, big source of stability for me as well. So I, I'm not planning on changing that anytime soon. But um, yeah, I got into flying. Um, I mean, funny enough, you you say it's not related to music, but it it actually for me is a bit tangentially related um and and basically it's just that it all stems from um that trip to africa originally um because of my involvement in conservation work there um i 
gotten involved a little bit in the aviation community in Africa. I mean, just a, just a bit. I know a few pilots there that fly for conservation work. And I've been lucky enough to go up with a couple different helicopter pilots and a fixed wing um, pilot. Um, on my last trip there this past summer, I got to go up in the plane and we did a, a basically counting a surveillance flight of ri- counting rhinos and elephants um, and kind of reporting their locations um, for conservation. And so it, you know, in a, in a, in a roundabout way, it still did come from music a bit. Um, and the other reason why I'm, I've really gotten into flying and be decided to get my, my um, private pilot's license was because of my involvement in Alaska. Um, and again, there's more to talk about there, but my involvement in Alaska, aside from that first trip to photograph bears on my road trip, um, I actually started playing with a, a music ensemble in Sitka, Alaska. Um, that is a basically a fundraiser for the um, a fine arts camp that is in Sitka, and they they bring in a, a fantastic brass ensemble every year um, to perform um, with really mu- top musicians from orchestras across the the country. Um, there's a big connection with San Francisco Symphony, which yeah, is how I've I, seen photos of that. Yeah, yeah Mark Anyway, exactly. I think right. This yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Mark. Yeah, Mark Inouye and, and a whole bunch of other fantastic players. Um, Tim Higgins in San Francisco has been involved. And, um, I mean, lots of horn players from San Francisco actually over the years have been involved there. Bob Ward has played. And, um, uh, you know, it's just a really neat kind of lineage that's that's happened there in Sitka. So I started going up playing in Sitka a lot as well. And, of course, being a bush pilot or uh, flying you know, aviation in Alaska is huge as well. So a lot of my inspiration really for flying came from my travels in Alaska and the conservation work in Africa. Um, So somehow it it still is related to music, but yeah, it was kind of getting towards the end of the pandemic um, when I decided, um, I mean, flying has always fascinated me and I've always loved travel. And then with these trips in Alaska and Africa, um, it's just really kind of reignited that, that passion and when wanting to do it. And I've always kind of wanted to be a pilot, you know, admittedly probably since the days of Top Gun, (laughs) the first movie. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Not too much of a of a dork to admit that. Um and you know, I've always kind of thought I wanted to do that, but never really never in a million years thought I would become a pilot. Um it was just one of those things that I just thought, well, I don't even know. I mean, it would take too much work and too much time and too much money to get involved. Um but the time issue was really the biggest thing for me. I just thought I would never have the time for it. And then, you know, the pandemic hits. And um, so it was, I was getting to, starting to see the light of the tunnel at the end of the pandemic, knowing that I was probably going to be going back to teaching in person, um, you know, in the, the, in the fall. And so it was 2021, um, kind of in the summer or late spring, actually. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go take take some flight lessons, a discovery flight, and see if I can possibly get this in before I have to start teaching again. Um and I did. I just kind of put my head down and, and I basically ended up flying almost full time um, during the pan, you know, during the summer uh, before the pandemic. I was flying almost daily and some days, uh, quite a few days, I was doing double flight lessons in a day. So I actually got most of the requir- requirements. I actually got all the requirements for my, my pilot's license in, in just six weeks, which is a little crazy. Wow. A lot of people spent a lot more time than that. Um, I did an online ground school first. So um, I had already had, you know, I had done a little bit of knowledge, you know, a little studying before I actually started the in-person lessons. But yeah, I did all of the requirements in six weeks. 
And then I had to go do some traveling and some other work and things like that. So I ended up having to put off my final check ride a little bit. So when I came back to do it, it did take me a few more months and I didn't, didn't end up getting my license until a few months later. Um, but yeah, I, um, it did it pretty quickly and I'm still kind of working towards being able to, um, hopefully get an instrument rating which means i'll be able to fly in the clouds and and you just it just makes you a much better pilot a much more skilled pilot if you have an instrument rating um and then my other big dream is to get my seaplane or float plane rating um so meaning that i can land on water in places like sitka alaska so um so that would be a goal at some point and if i could ever fly part-time um either to do seaplane tours or to do, you know, surveillance flights for conservation or something like that, then that's a, a big dream as well. But, um, but of course it would be part-time and who knows how far down the road, you know, I just figured it was like, well, if this is something that I want to do at some point, I have a lot of connections, um, in that world in, in Africa and a lot of reasons to want to fly in Alaska. So I just thought, you know, you got to get started somehow. And I think getting that first hurdle of getting that private pilot's license out of the way is um, is a very time consuming one and a, and a big step. So I just figured might as well do it while I had a little bit of free time. <laughs> and I'm glad I did. Was your flight instructor by chance um, Alan Johnson? It wasn't, but I know of Alan Johnson. Okay. That's um, actually that was Jim Thatcher's flight instructor. I think I so. Yeah. Alan, uh, Alan and I played in a brass quintet together uh, many years no ago. Way. He was a terrific and a really terrific bass trombone player. Yeah. You know, Jim just gave me um, his, his number actually, because um, I don't know if he's still teaching, but Jim still goes to do his, um, his uh, like biannual reviews with him. And, um, and I know he's, I believe he studied an instrument with him as well. So Jim actually just gave me his number to, to contact about instrument training. Uh, well, if you um, say hi for me, if you talk to him. I certainly will. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, there's such a history of, of flying in LA too. Um, musicians flying in LA, um, you know, I know. Um, yeah. And, and so, and, and so I, I, Originally, I, I first started going up with Jim Thatcher. Um, I studied with Jim. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I took lessons with other other teachers um, in L.A. And uh, Jim and I hit it off immediately. I think we just have similar kind of fire and passion for music. And um, and and it turns out for aviation, too. So he's got this great Beechcraft Bonanza. And um, I started going up flying with him. I've, we've flown to gigs together. And he's helped me out flying me to a couple locations in the past. And, um, and, uh, and so when I first decided I wanted to do this I called Jim up and I said I think I want to become a pilot I think I'm going to do it could could I go flying with you with that in mind and he said well if that's what we're going to do then I'm going to give you a whole pre-flight lesson and you know a little ground school lesson showed me everything on his plane taught me how to pre-flight we sat in the plane for probably two hours going over charts aeronautical charts and you know calling for weather briefings and all this stuff and um took me on you know i obviously he's not an instructor but took me on the flight and kind of showed me a lot more in the air about what he's actually doing rather than just being a passenger and then I went and took my first my first discovery flight. Wow. How great! How great! <laughs> yeah. Well, you actually yeah. the, the, just to end our conversation, you had um, sure. you actually bought a house in Sitka, Alaska. <laughs> now, I, I did. and so when you're not freelancing in LA, you you the plan is that you go up there some of the times. Yeah, exactly. You know, as I mentioned, I've just been I've I've gotten more and more involved. Um, with the musical community in Sitka um, through the Fine Arts Camp. Uh, it's run by fantastic uh, trombone player Roger Schmidt, who, um, you know, he'll tell you that he's, uh, he's, 
not a full-time professional trombone player, but he plays really well, and he runs this fine arts camp um, all the time. He actually went to Oberlin um, as a student, and uh, and then and that's kind of how he he went to school with a lot of those players that are now in San Francisco Symphony. So that's how that connection started. Um, but I got more and more involved in the Sitka group, and um, I've gone up there to play plenty of other other things now, and uh, rather than just the brass ensemble, I've actually played a brass trio concert up there now, and I've played a couple different shows. I've been playing with the Juno Alaska Symphony as well um, to try to get another excuse to get up to Alaska. Um, basically, I just kind of fell in love with Alaska from my very first trip there when I started photographing bears, and um, just kind of fell in love with it. I've been looking for more and more reasons to go, and. For me, I've always wanted to, I mean, full disclosure, I don't own a house in L.A. Um, because L.A. is expensive and I love where I live. I love where I rent. Um, I'm very lucky to have a good deal where I rent and I absolutely love it. I feel like I'm in a wilderness area where I live. Um, it's outside of L.A. And um, and so I, I've never bought a home, but I've been wanting to buy something somewhere to have a little bit of equity and a little stability in, in real estate, which I know is, of course, smart. Um and I've, I've considered trying to buy, I really considered trying to buy somewhere in Wyoming in the Tetons area or something like that. And for me, it was, you know, there's no reason I, I shouldn't do that. I mean, it would be a beautiful spot to visit and I could certainly rent it out if I'm not there. So it could be a smart move. Um, but for me, there was never any, you know, there's never really any established reason or, you know, gut reason to buy in any other area until I met, started meeting people in Sitka. Until I started like meeting the community in Sitka and just seeing how much of an artistic and creative community is, as well as being very outdoorsy. I mean, it's a fishing town and it's just beautiful and just so I think the the combination of the the creative side and the outdoors, um, the wilderness side, with a, a fully support, supportive community is really what made me fall in love with Sitka. Um, I have so many close friends there, and um, I bought this little house on an island. Um, it's an, I mean, Sitka is on an island itself, but I bought a house on a smaller island off of Sitka. Uh, it's just about a five-minute boat, boat ride away, um, but that also means I'm going to need to buy a boat. Um, <laughs> and this all just happened. I just closed. I, it was in pro, uh, process for quite a while because it was never advertised. It was all kind of through word of mouth, um, through other islanders on the island. There are 10 homes on the island, um, and I know most of the people on the island, including um, another professional trumpet player and a vocalist. His wife is a vocalist. Uh, they live in um, in Miami. Uh, Brian Neal uh, is a trumpet player that plays with Dallas Brass, and um, and he and his wife, uh, Karen, have, have a house on the same island, so they'll be neighbors as well. Well, you have some, a photograph of, of, uh, from Sitka that's, that's just beautiful, of the lake. And I, and I hope, if it's okay, maybe you could send that again, and we can, we can put that on the site that we have for, you, for the podcast for sure. our conversation. Because Absolutely. Because it's just beautiful up there. Yeah, and that's, and that's the ocean. It's right on the ocean. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just incredible. It's set back in a sound quite a way, so it is pretty protected um but yeah it's a it's a stunning little town of 8000 people and uh but nestled right into the mountains in southeast alaska um no roads going there um there's actually only 14 miles of roads of road in sitka um 14 miles of road on that whole island um so i think it's kind of kind of kind of poignant that i'm 
going from a place like LA where I basically live in my car to Sitka where I'm not even going to have a car. I'll yeah. have to have a boat. Yeah, that's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, Amy, I really, really appreciate your taking the time in the middle of a super busy week um, oh, to have sure. this conversation. It's really been great. Well, my pleasure. I mean, it's just really uh, a great opportunity to get to share some of these stories and kind of sum up this crazy life that I just feel like um, I've gotten so much out of both in terms of music and every other passion that I could think of. So I appreciate you letting me ramble on about it. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful <laughs> life. And like I said, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation was just because you're involved in so many different things outside of music. And actually, even inside of music, your your career is very, very, very... Yes. I'm doing my best to keep it up. <laughs> 